This morning's scripture reading will be from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, it encourages us and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It truly is good to be together and worship the risen King this morning. Uh, you know, this weekend's a beautiful weekend. Like I'm sure many of you, I was able to work outside a lot and get a lot of things done that I needed to get done. And in the process, I kind of a little bit pulled a hamstring a little bit. And so I'm limping a little bit this morning and the whole time, I didn't know why that happened until Philip made the announcement. And now I realize it's because I'm old. Uh, and then that made me think about how at least twice in the hospital, people would look over at Tracy and they would say, now are you the mother? And they never once looked at me and said, are you the father? Uh, I'm getting the message, it's loud and clear. But to each of you that have prayed and have celebrated with us, uh, we thank you. Uh, having little Max is a huge blessing, but being able to share in life together is even a great part of the blessing. And thank you so much uh, for sharing in that with us. This Sunday is great. Here we are together to worship God. But we want to encourage you to come back next Sunday also for our family day, our friends day, I should say. We all need a friend. And so next Sunday, we'll come together at the regular times on Sunday morning. But then on Sunday afternoon, we'll meet at four o'clock here for a period of worship. And then we'll go into the back of the building and we'll enjoy a hot dog fellowship together. If you're one of our members, be sure to remember to bring a dessert and a side dish and everybody else will join in. And we will have a great time of fellowship eating, but also with our games and our Elders will kick off the gotcha. Uh, one of our, our young ones gave an invitation to her friend, 10 year old friend and said, I want you to come to Friends Day this year. And her friend immediately popped up and said, are the elders gonna be playing gotcha? And so uh, we, we really uh, had a lot of fun with that last year. We look forward to laughing together and, and, and worshiping together and playing together and creating memories together. Speaking of memories, yesterday was a great egg hunt and a lot of memories were made there. And, and also families work together. We'll remind our members that this coming Saturday will be the work day. And so jump in and participate any way and every way that you can. Also, if you're sitting on the end of the pew, and they're not on the end of every pew, but if you're sitting on the end of the pew, be sure and grab the, the little cards right now uh, about Friends Day. Pass those down. If you're a guest, please be sure and take one. And notice on the back, it has the details so you can be reminded of that next week. We'd love to have you. Also, if you need to take one with you uh, to give invitations. Yesterday, I didn't have mine on me, and I left a convenience store and had to go and come back because I'd invited someone, but they needed a reminder of when it was... Uh, 
try to keep that on you this week so that when you see people and you invite them, you have it there uh, to tell them about the great day that we're going to have this coming Sunday. Also, we'll be saying a lot more about this coming up, but, but just so you know, uh, we want to be praying for our local schools. We're trying really hard to be involved in whatever way that we can be involved to encourage. And so we're praying, especially right now for the next few months, uh, next few weeks for our elementary schools in our area. You'll hear more about that. But also another thing that we're being asked to do is proctor exams that are coming up. Uh, you will hear more about those dates. If you have one hour or if you have three hours, you're needed on certain mornings coming up soon. So be thinking about that. And also, if you already know you want to be involved in this, you can email church at mountjuliet.org, church at mountjuliet.org, or see Jason Haley or Sean Owens for this. We want to do what God would want us to do in this community. And we know beyond any shadow of a doubt what God would want us to do is love one another. And so whatever way that we can love our community and serve our community, we want to be about it. And we want to give God all the glory in that. Sao Paulo experienced something that very few people will ever experience. He received word that at his mother's house, a funeral was taking place. And the funeral was his funeral. So he immediately rushed to the scene because he figured that he needed to clarify some things. You see, his brother had been called by the local authorities and said, we believe that it might be your brother that has been shot. Does your brother work at a car wash? Yes. Can you come down and identify this man? And the man really resembled his brother. And so he identified him as his brother. They began to have a funeral service for him. When his brother walked in, some fainted and some became afraid and ran away. But his mother just said, I am thrilled. What mother wouldn't be thrilled as they thought that their son was dead, but he is now alive. You know, it is interesting you think about death and about how really sometimes we try to avoid that thought. But yet sometimes there are situations that just cause us to think about it. We all have heard stories about someone missing a flight and then that being a flight that ended up crashing. Or maybe all of us have had some kind of circumstance that it looked like we just nearly and barely escaped what might have been a fatal accident. Or maybe some of you have awakened in an ER to be told that you coded and you're fortunate to be alive right now. You see, the reality is Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, verse two, three, and four teaches us that to think about death is a good thing. It literally says there that it's better to go into the house of mourning, that's a funeral, rather than go to the house of feasting, that's a party. Because it says the living will take it to their heart and they will realize that this is the end of all men. You see, you and I need to accept the fact that death is a reality. And so it's not that we live for death, please get this. But instead, as Christians, what we have is a resurrected Lord that not only came back to life himself, but through his resurrection gives us resurrection. And so we do not live for death. We live for that passage through death so that we can live eternally with God. We live to live again. What a beautiful thought. And yet sometime, if we're not careful, when we talk about the Lord, the only thing we talk about is the cross. How often do you see it worn as a piece of jewelry? 
How oftentimes do you see the cross as an emblem on a building? How many times do you see it inked on someone's skin? But yet, shouldn't we speak just as often, if not even more often, about the throne? He's resurrected. He's alive. The proof is there. Jesus is alive. And after 40 days of showing himself on this earth, he ascended and he's sitting on the right-hand throne of God. And he said just before his ascension, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. He is king of kings. He is reigning. We're looking this entire year at the idea of kingdom living. We do not have a king who is dead in a grave somewhere. What good would that be? We have a king who is alive. And yet we don't wear a lot of jewelry with thrones on it. We don't speak perhaps often enough about the resurrection. And I'm not saying to you this is proof and, and please don't misunderstand me and think, well, what David is saying is we shouldn't talk about the cross. That's not true at all. Just in thinking about this, I ran off the scriptures in the New Testament that deal with the cross. It's those two pages. I ran off the scriptures that deal with resurrection. I mean, with the word, when I say deal with, I'm talking uses the word cross or uses the word resurrection. And there's three pages on resurrection. What's the point to that? The point is this. The scripture speaks more often about the resurrection of the Lord than it does the cross. I'm not saying you and I shouldn't talk about the cross. I'm just saying to you that if we don't understand and appreciate the resurrection, what good is the cross? If there's no resurrection, the cross is the end of the story and it's a failure. But the story continues. He died, yes, on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. But on the third day, he was alive. God resurrected Jesus. Satan and death, that's a tool that Satan uses. Satan and death were defeated. And so to that we rejoice. So what does this mean for us? I'd like for you to go back to the chapter that the text was read this morning. And I'd like to begin in the first four verses and then go to the text. Look, if you will, verse 1 and 2, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. As <clears throat> we think about the resurrection, I realize that there may be some that it's just hard to grasp it. We're not accustomed on this earth to seeing people die, come back to life. Thomas had that problem. And there have been doubters ever since the resurrection. Thomas, remember, he wouldn't believe unless he could put his hand in the side, unless he could see the pierced hands of, of Jesus. And there very well could be doubters here this morning. They are scattered all around the world and they've been since the beginning of Jesus' resurrection. Or there may be others here this morning that you came here this morning simply because on our calendar it says Easter morning and that's just a tradition you have. But the reality is deep down inside, if you could reveal your heart, here's what it would look like. Why does it matter? If someone named Jesus Christ died, and even if he was resurrected, it's been almost 2,000 years ago. What does that have to do with anything today? And you know, that's a fair question to ask. What does it have to do with anything today? Are we talking about a story that's 2,000 years ago and is ancient and removed? Or are we talking about something that has a huge and powerful impact on you and I today? Or at least it could. And let's notice what Paul said as he entered into Corinth. 
I'd like for us to just break down this text and see what God would want us to learn about this. Number one, he says, I want you to notice how many times he uses the word you here in the first two verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you, this first Corinthians 15, verse one and two. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you, what declare? The gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, but which also you are saved. That's what makes the gospel powerful right there. If you hold fast that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Notice here what he preached. He preached the gospel. Now we'll get to that in just a moment. And so what did he do? He preached this gospel that he said, ultimately, it saved you. It's not something that's this high calling that is out of your reach. Everybody can attain the gospel message. You remember, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, go into all the world and preach what? The gospel. To whom? To every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. This is a message that has power for anyone who will listen to it, believe it, Receive it, obey it, hold fast to it. But now note this, just because it has its power and just because it has been preached doesn't mean that you receive it. Now, let's flip back just one step before that. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing if, wouldn't it be a horrible thing if it existed and yet it was never preached to you? How horrible would that be? Imagine, if you will, that there, there was a concert that you really, really, really wanted to go to and you couldn't get tickets. And about a week after the concert, you ran into one of your friends and they said, oh, you know what I found on my dresser this morning? A couple of weeks ago, I bought you tickets to that concert and it was the one you really wanted to go to and I forgot all about giving them to you. Sorry. Now you tell me, is that good news or bad news? You know, there might be that moment of, oh, you had tickets and then there's that moment of, I'm infuriated. I had the opportunity to go and you just forgot about them? Brethren, do you realize what would we be as Christians? What kind of disciples of Jesus would we be if we had this great gospel message? The word gospel means good news. If we had this good news and then we just failed to mention it to our friends. We just failed to mention it to our neighbors. Imagine, imagine on the day of judgment, People have passed through death and now they're staring eternity in the eyes and it's either going to be salvation, what he talks about here, or condemnation. And then we kind of shrug our shoulders and say, I guess I forgot to tell you. That ought to sober us. Paul says, sure, it's gospel. And I preached it. I let you know about it. You received it. That's why you're saved. And you'll continue to be saved if you hold fast and live by it. Well, what is the gospel? Look at verse three and four. Verse three and four defines the gospel. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died, that's the cross, for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that's the tomb, and that he rose again, that's the resurrection, the third day according to the scriptures. Brethren, that is the gospel. That is the good news. The death of Jesus Christ, he was the sacrifice for our sins. Because of sin, death must 
be the punishment for sin. So Jesus says, I will die in your place. The burial, he did enter into the realm of the dead. Jesus dealt and battled the enemy of death. But God won that victory through the third day and the resurrection. And that is gospel. Because of what he did, you and I can have the same victory. We too can be resurrected into eternal life. So what's the problem? In a sense this morning, but even more so next week, you'll realize this. We're starting a new series this morning. And it's over the book of 1 Corinthians. And I hope that all of you will join us over the next many Sundays to study passages out of 1 Corinthians. And what we're studying about is we're studying about that as kingdom people, it doesn't mean that our life is perfect and we have it all together. It means that we face problems a little bit differently. We look for solutions from places that we would not normally look if we lived out in the world. And so you say, okay, we're studying in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter this beautiful topic of the resurrection. What could be the problem? Well, there is a problem. Look at verse 12. For those people at Corinth, and even as we've already mentioned, for many uh, perhaps today in America and even around the world, look at verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? We have a problem here. There were some saying there was no resurrection. Now, it could be that they were following a Greek notion, and that is that there's a soul that is immortal, but that there will not be a resurrection of the body. And there would probably be some today that would argue that. But what Paul does is he spends the rest of this chapter, which by the way, there's about 58 verses here, 57 of them deal with the topic of the resurrection. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, that is a big deal. He doesn't look at this and say, oh, you don't believe in a bodily resurrection? No, big deal. He looks at it and says, big deal. Let's talk about how important it is to understand what the resurrection is really going to be about. Now, we don't have time to develop this right now, but if you want to jot down and read this for yourself, is there going to be a bodily resurrection? In verse 35, that is a beautiful and powerful paragraph where he addresses the fact that God has had no problem creating additional bodies. So someone looks at a decayed body in the grave and says, how can there be a resurrection? And what he says is, take a seed. And when you plant a kernel of corn, what does it have to do when it goes into the ground? It has to die before it comes to life. And then when it does come to life, does it just sit on top of the ground as a kernel of corn? No. Instead, he says, when it does come to life, it takes on another shape. That kernel of corn has another body that becomes a stalk. And he's saying, we too will die. And our bodies that will be resurrected, he talks about beginning in the 50th verse. And verse 52 is where he says it clearly. He says that we will be changed. And he says this in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as in the resurrection, our body is going to be changed. And flesh and blood is not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, back in verse 50. And so he, he talks about in 35 and following, he says, look at what God has been able to do already. Is it hard to believe that he could create various bodies? And he says, look what he did already in creation. And he says, I want you to imagine the body of a man. Now imagine the body of an animal that lives on the earth, on the land. Imagine an elephant. Imagine a bird. 
Imagine an eagle. Imagine a fish. Imagine a bass. Imagine an angel, a celestial being. And he says, look at all these different bodies. God has never had a problem creating different bodies. So when there's a resurrection and you scratch your head and say, I don't understand how this new body is going to come about. You must keep in mind, God has no problem creating your next body. He has no problem making the adjustments that he needs to make for your body to no longer be flesh and blood, but to dwell for an eternity. So what? What does that mean? If, if God resurrected Jesus, why does that have power to us today? Let's go over the text that was read and all we can do is just mention the points. Verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. In other words, go to the tombs and find his body. That's literally what he's saying. And don't you know that the Jews that did not want to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they wanted to prove that he wasn't resurrected. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, the 27th chapter, beginning verse 62, they met up with Pilate before the resurrection and said, we need to seal the tomb and we need to guard it because we heard word that there might be a resurrection and we don't want his disciples stealing that body. They were going to do everything that they could do to prove there wasn't a resurrection. And then when the guards could not keep the dead body, body who became alive in the tomb. Then they collected, the elders collected what the next chapter says was a large sum of money and they went and bribed them. They said, we'll give you this large sum of money if you tell everybody that his disciples stole him so that they can not believe in the resurrected Lord. Listen, all we've got to do is find the bones of Jesus and there's no resurrection. But if there is a resurrection, you will never find the bones of Jesus. That was part of the message even in Acts, the second chapter, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Number two, we see in verse 14, then our preaching is empty. And then the third one is, and your faith is also empty. Now notice when he says you're preaching there, he's not talking about the preacher's delivery. He there is talking about the content of what is preached, the kerygma. There is no content of value. It's empty, it's worthless. If we do not have a resurrected Lord to preach, there is also nothing for you to believe. Your faith is empty. If there is no resurrected Lord, who are you living for? A dead man? And why are you living? Do you think a dead man is coming back to get you? Do you think one that could not conquer death on his own can conquer your death and give you life? Listen, our faith is the biggest sham that there is. If our preaching is empty, our faith is empty. And then in verse 15, and we are found false witnesses. Not only that, the leaders in the early church, the apostles, notice it says we are found false witnesses. The word found there is the idea of, oops, we got caught. In other words, we've been caught up in a lie. We have been found out. And so Paul is saying here, listen, if there's no resurrected Lord, oops, you got us. We have nothing to stand on. But if there is a resurrected Lord, of course, there's great power in what they're preaching. And then in verse 17, he says, and you are still in your sins. You remember at the beginning, he said that they were saved. Their sins were forgiven. 
If Jesus isn't resurrected, there's not a person here that your sins are forgiven. There's not a person here saved if there is no resurrected Lord. And then in verse 18, he says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, those that have already died, even though they might have lived the Christian life, if they have already died, they have already perished. But notice he uses the word here, sleep. Sleep is how Christians look at death because it's peaceful. It's only for a moment. You know how you can, you can lay down and, and some of you old ones, you're saying, yeah, I remember when I could do that. But some of you younger ones can do this. You can lay down and fall asleep and eight, nine hours later be the first time you wake up. And you look at the clock and you think, where did those eight hours go? How did that happen? That's what sleep is. Sleep is quick. It's peaceful. And you wake up to be refreshed. Wake up into eternity. Without Christ being the resurrected Lord, sleep is death. It is the end. It is final. But then finally, look at verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And that, even though it could sometimes be translated miserable, that's not the best translation. Because miserable just means that's our feeling about it. If there is no resurrected Lord, we feel miserable. That would be true, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying you take a third party on the outside of Christianity looking in and observing the Christian life, and then there is no resurrection that third party would say, I feel the most sorry for Christians than I feel out of anybody around the world. What Paul is trying to do here is simply in a powerful way say, do you realize that we are horribly misused and mistreated people by God if there is no resurrected Lord? We are pitiful people. So number one, Christ isn't risen. Number two, our preaching is empty. Number three, our faith is empty. Number four, the apostles are false witnesses. Number five, we're still in our sin and lost. Number six, the dead have already perished. And number seven, we're the most pitiful people. Let me just mention these other things that just came to my mind as I wrote this sermon to name a few more things that if there is no resurrected Lord, the Lord's Supper is a hoax. We're taking this until he comes again. If he's dead, he's not coming again. Number two, our baptism is misleading. We crucify the old man into sin and we bury the man that is spiritually dead in baptism. And that man, according to God, is to be resurrected to a spiritual life. And so baptism is misleading if there is no resurrection. The church is dead because remember the church is the body of Christ. If Christ is dead, the church is dead. Hope is hopeless. There is no such thing as hope. God is dead because Christ was God and is God. And the promise of power is empty. But this morning, what we can rejoice in is that the sting has been taken out of death, verse 55 of 1 Corinthians 15, and the way that happened, verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, this morning, I need to love, I need to grasp, I need to obey, I need to live every day in view of the fact Jesus is alive. He is resurrected. And that makes all the difference. This morning, if we can help you in any way grow closer to Jesus, to allow the powerful resurrected Lord to impact your life, we'd love to help you. 
However we could do that, please let us know. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or if you're ready to be restored, if you don't know exactly what you need, you just want to know more, please let us know. Come as we